Father, thanks for the evening. And uh, we pray that the things we speak of this evening will be helpful, uh, encouraging, um, that would help us individually. Um, even going over these things reviewing uh, this week has been helpful for me to be reminded of the issues of the heart that are so important as we think about food and this good gift that you've given us. And uh, so would it help us personally, individually, and and would you use this to uh, strengthen us to help those that we minister to as well? And so would you guide our time? And um, thank you for your many graces and your many kindnesses to us, which includes uh, an amazing array of food in which we see your creative genius. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> I think this is in your notes. Um, this only works when you turn it on. Um, body and food idolatry are big issues, as I just related to you, was my own problem in my own life. Uh, that's true individually and culturally. A lot of people struggle with food, and on both ends of the spectrum. Some struggle, as I did, with gluttony, as I do with gluttony. Others struggle with eating enough or um, binging and purging uh, bulimia. And that's also true culturally. There's, it's a big problem culturally and what the culture thinks about food and how the culture handles food. Um, I read an article, uh, and I just saw it referenced again earlier this week, about the difficulty of losing weight today. And part of the reason is if you go to a restaurant today as opposed to 25 years ago, your portions are radically different. You know, you try and, but I've gone to a restaurant, try and get a salad. I think I'm going to eat healthy. I get a salad. The salad was 1,200 calories. <laughs> well, give me the hamburger and french fries that are 1,200 calories. <laughs> Seriously. If I'm going to eat 1,200 calories, I want it to taste a little better than a salad, <laughs> right? But. 25 years ago, that wasn't true. You go to a restaurant, you get a 600-calorie meal, which was much better for you. So it's just, it's just a challenge both individually and culturally. The Bible has much to say about food. And you would think, oh, there's really not that much. There's a ton in the Bible about food. God has given us a variety of good food to enjoy his glory. I alluded to that in my prayer. Do you ever pray this way? Lord, thank you for this food, for all the different textures just think about the texture of food, the difference between mashed potatoes and a steak, medium rare, of course. Um, you know, and, and um, your green um, smoked vegetables. Uh, we like smoked o- okra, right? So you smoke okra for about an hour and so, oh my, hmm. A little bit of hickory salt and you're in heaven. That's, that's great stuff. And so all, just the textures and then the colors and the variety of flavors and all of those manifest the glory of God because he could have just given us manna. And he did. The Israelites for 40 years, that's all they got, manna. It sustained them. It met all of their dietary needs. God could certainly do that with us. Why does he give us the variety? So we see his glory. So every time you bow your head at a meal, you ought to be thinking God's glory is on display on this table. Um, Food glorifies God through taste. Um, I've already alluded to that. Psalm Psalm uh, uh, 34.8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And he's not talking about food there, but he's using the food analogy to drive us to him. And as we eat food, it ought to be making us think, if food is this good, how good is the God that made it? Uh, And that's designed to stimulate us to delight in him. Food glorifies God through a sustenance uh, of us. Okay, so... I just alluded to the fact I like okra. So my wife planted okra this year for the first time. And so she was all excited. She came in one day and she said, there's, a, there's like all this okra on the plants. We're going to eat so well. And she harvested it the one day and it was like woody and stringy. And I don't know if you've ever tried to eat okra where it's just, <laughs> it's like, this is really good. Fun. Thanks. <laughs> you just, I mean, you can hardly chew through it. It's like wood. It's like asparagus that gets woody. Um, so, you know, we've said over the years, we love the garden. If we had to live off our garden, we'd die. <laughs> right? I just, 
I can't grow enough to sustain me. And it makes me realize, though I come from farmers, I'm not a farmer. And I am dependent on God to provide the food for me. So every time I eat, it's a recognition. God's given this to me. I can't get it on my own. I don't control the circumstances of the growing. I don't control the sun. I don't control the rain. I don't control the dirt. Nothing. God controls it. And he gives it to us. And we are dependent on him. So he's glorified uh, as we are sustained. God glorif- uh, Food glorifies God as we eat and live in community and fellowship with others. He gives us food, not just to sustain us, but there's a reason why believers gather a lot around food. Because food stimulates fellowship and conversation and intimacy and relationship. And so you say to someone, come to my house. Not just come to my house, but come to my house and what? Eat. Why? Because it it stimulates fellowship. And so we had some friends over recently, and I said, I'm going to smoke some meat. He said, I'm all in. So we smoked some um, some steaks, and oh, they were so good. Anyway, and we sat, and we ate, and then we cleared the table, and we sat, and we visited. We started the meal at 6, and we got up at 9.30 or 10, right? Why? Because food stimulates fellowship. And so we visited, we talked, we wept, we laughed, we prayed all around the table of communion. And God's given it to us to do that. And we see that I've given you a bunch of Bible references that accommodate that. Isn't it interesting that one of the last things Jesus did on this earth before the ascension was eat? He ate with the disciples. And one of the last things he told the disciples was, we're eating this meal and I can't wait for when I eat again with you in the kingdom. The first thing we're going to do when we get to heaven as a body of believers is eat with our Savior. So, so food is even vitally important to our Savior. The first sin had to do with sinful eating. So there, was, there were all kinds of things going on in that text. But it was related to the the manifestation of the ungodly desires came through food. Uh, Many other uh, subsequent sins have had to do with food. So you go through the Bible, you find Jacob and Esau uh, and that tragedy. Think about the nation of Israel and they're grumbling over the manna and saying, if only we had cucumber and leeks like we had in Egypt. And if we could go back there, if only we had some meat and protein and God sends pheasants and they're just stuffing it in so fast. God says, who are you people and curses them because of the way they were eating Um, So all kinds of sin in the Bible is related to uh, eating. Plentiful food was a blessing of the old covenant uh, that God made with Israel and a recognition of of the provision of him for his people. So one of the ways they knew that they were being blessed is they had something to eat. And likewise, one curse of covenant unfaithfulness was a shortage of food. They knew um, if they don't have food, it could be because God is withholding blessing from, from them because of their disobedience. Uh, we know from uh, Matthew 6, the great passage on anxiety, that um, part of the blessing of God under the new covenant is also that he provides for us. We can trust him. He's faithful even down to what am I going to eat today? Um, he is faithful in that. God gives food to mankind as a common grace blessing. He even feeds animals. He even feeds our enemies as a manifestation of his common grace. God brings people together in fellowship around food. We've talked about that. We find that in the New Testament a lot. Another principle about food that we find in the Bible is that your heart is more important than your body. So we tend to think, well, I need to take care of my body. Somebody was asking me, Uh, during the break about exercise. He said, I've heard you talk about exercise and the role that it plays in your life. Tell me about that. Um, And and it's an important important part of my life. But we understand, and limiting what I eat is also important, but I understand that that's not most important, right? What's most important is my heart, where I am spiritually, um, and my walk with Christ. That is far more important. 1 Timothy 4.8 is a key passage there for helping us understand that. Our, one, of our, one of our needs for food reminds us of our daily dependence upon God. 
I think I mentioned this in another context. I think it was in here as well. You know, why doesn't God make us like plants? You walk outside, you get some sunshine, you're good to go for another 10 hours. No, seriously, he could. But we have to eat. Most of us eat about three times a day. You know, on bad days, we're eating four or five. With snacks in between. Um, sometimes once or twice. But every day you've got to eat, right? Why? Because every day I'm reminded, when I eat and when I put my head on my pillow, I'm not God. God doesn't need food. I do. And I am dependent on Him. And that's good. It's a daily, three times a day reminder. I need God. Um... To that end, physical hunger is symbolic of our spiritual need. Every time I'm hungry, I ought to be thinking, am I hungry for God the way my body is hungry for food? Um, I do ask myself all the time, is, am I really hungry or am I eating to satisfy some other longing? What's going on in my body? Is my body really deprived of something? And I'll think about the calories. I'll think about the nutrition. I'll think about what I've been drinking that day. Um, and then think, okay, is this really... What I'm wanting, do I really need food or do I need something else? Or am I trying to just satisfy some need um, through the food that Christ will satisfy more fully? And that's a, that's a good question to ask when you're hungry. Spiritual food is obviously far more important than earthly food. Jesus makes that point to Satan, Matthew chapter 4. Um, will we eat in the new heavens and the new earth? Yes, we will. And I'm convinced there's going to be a bluebell and a host of other things and we're not going to gain weight. Um, how do we know that? Well, go to Revelation 22. There's a tree of life and all, all the trees that are filled with foods that are ready for us to eat there. There's the marriage supper of the lamb. We know that we're going to eat because Jesus ate with the disciples in his redeemed body, his transformed body. Um, Watch this as well. There is no biblical command to be thin. <laughs> That's right. There are commands to be disciplined, to be under control, to guard your appetites, um, to, to discipline your body, buffet your body, all those things. But different body types are different body types. And there's no command to be thin. Uh, the Bible does talk about exercise and healthy eating. Bodily discipline does have some profit. So don't use 1 Timothy 4.8 4, and say, uh, bodily discipline is of little profit, so I'm not going to mess with it because it's, you know, it's of no value. No, no, no. It says it is of little profit. That means it is of some profit. There is value in it of disciplining, controlling your body. Sometimes getting up, I get up, Stupid early, but at least for me, it's stupid early. Um, I'm usually out three days a week. I'm out at Lowe's in Granbury running somewhere between 5 and 5.30 in the morning with my little headlamp on, my reflector vest. And that, it's early, but it's, it's to fit the rest of what I do, it's got to be that way. And there's value in that, just Disciplining my body to say, I've got to go to bed by this time so that I can get up at this time so that I can go take care of my body, right? So to get the sleep that I need so I can get the exercise I need. And that's good. That's, that's a value. It's not of ultimate value, but it is a value. Physical exercise is used illustratively of our spiritual discipline. First uh, Corinthians 9, I've already alluded to that. And just note this, self-denial of food does not achieve the righteousness of God. So asceticism, Colossians chapter 2, doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. So just because we say, I'm giving that up, doesn't mean I'm righteous. Um, though it certainly could be a manifestation of my righteousness, but in and of itself, it doesn't make me righteous. Okay, so let's talk about some, that's all introductory. Let's talk about some specific sins of the body. One is gluttony. Uh, we're going to define gluttony as the habitual pattern of eating more food than is needed for sustenance and desiring food as a source of contentment and joy. So this afternoon, my wife and I were talking about um, Thanksgiving. 
and we were talking about what we were going to eat on Thanksgiving. I asked her, she had gone to the grocery today, and I said, did you get a turkey, or are the turkeys on sale yet? And she kind of told me what, we, what she was thinking. And uh, so we're already starting to think about that menu. And I can promise you on Thanksgiving Day, I'm probably going to be pushing the limits of the 2,000 calories I'm allowed for the day. Okay, I'm going to go way beyond it. <laughs> That's okay. One day does not make me a glutton, right? I'm, I'm going to account for that in what I do the rest of the week. Um, and there's also a celebratory aspect of food. We eat food to feast, to celebrate, to enjoy fellowship with family. And so those things, um, those things are God's gift to us. So when we say gluttony, we're not talking about single events. Those single events could be indicative of it. But we're talking about a habitual pattern. This is, this is the pattern of my life. Um, honestly, I just wasn't paying attention. When I was gaining weight, I would typically get up in the morning. I'd, before I'd sit down with my Bible, I'd get a glass of orange juice. I love orange juice, and grapefruit juice is even better. And so I'd get like a 12-ounce glass. Do you know how many calories are in 12 ounces of orange juice? It's horrendous. I had no idea. I was just, you know, it's liquid. So I was kind of writing it off like it's nothing. And then I'd sit down with a bowl of granola, and the granola itself was probably about 350 calories. And then I'm adding the milk on it. And that was another, I don't know, 100 to 200 to 300 calories. I was having an 800 calorie breakfast and walking away hungry. Because a lot of it was empty calories. And so then, I, and then I'd go to lunch at Mexican food. And anyway, so there you go. Um, that's gluttony. When you're not paying attention and you're engaged in it, Every single day. Gluttony is an excessive love for and use of food. It is delighting in the food rather in, than in the creator of the food. It is, it is delighting in the means rather than the end. Gluttony may, I say violates, let me temper that. Gluttony may violate the sixth commandment, which is what? Thou shalt not, come on, I gave you the first three words, <laughs> murder. It's a murder of self. So, you know, we can't control uh, when we're going to die, but there are sure things we can do that would hasten us towards death. Um, and food is one of those things. Excessive use of food might be in that category. Gluttony is often associated with other sins. Um, so anxiousness, fear, misplaced worship out of Matthew chapter 6. Now what you also find is, and I'm going to talk about this somewhere this weekend, um, when we excuse sin in one area of our life, it, it almost always results in attendant sins. So my way of saying it is this way. We never sin in isolation. And I mean by that two things. My sin is never just against me. It always impacts others. And, and you can say, well, you're, you know, it's just in your head. No. When I am cultivating ideas and desires in my head, it influences how I relate to other people. And you can say, well, I didn't explode in anger against my wife. No, but if you had those angry thoughts in your head, don't tell me that you're going to be able to go home and talk to her as if you didn't think on those things all day long. It's going to impact her. So sin always impacts others. It's never done in isolation, but it's also never done in isolation in this way. One sin breeds another. It's like Doritos. You can't eat just one. Right? You eat one, and you're going to eat another one, and another one, another one. And you sin in one area, and you say, this is okay... And invariably, this is okay then too, and this is okay, and this is okay. That's what, that's, uh, what we call in counseling, what Jay Adams called complicating sins. You do this sin, the adulterer commits sin of adultery, but then what does he have to do? He has to hide it. That means he's lying about it. And he's hiding finances about it, right? Um, and he's doing all kinds of other things in order to not have that part of his life revealed. That's a complicating sin. It's an attendant sin. It demonstrates we don't sin in isolation. That's true about food as well. Um, 
Gluttony can make you less useful to God. So then whether you eat or drink, do all things to the glory of God. You ought to be eating in such a way that makes God's glory more manifest, more visible in you and through you. Watch this. Not all gluttons are overweight. So invariably, when I tell people I think about gluttony every day of my life, they look at me and go, you? Yeah, every day. Just because I may not look overweight doesn't mean it's not a, a struggle and a battle. Um, so just because someone is not overweight doesn't mean uh, they're not gluttons. In fact, I was talking to a brother today and he said, you know, I, I struggle with gluttony. He said, it doesn't look like it. I'm really skinny. I have trouble gaining weight. It's just a, a fast metabolism. And I have trouble gaining weight when I'm eating healthy and eating what I should be eating. Um, but I, I struggle with gluttony all the time. So just because someone is skinny, don't think, well, that he's not a glutton. He may be a glutton. Um, God's just graced him with uh, a fast metabolism. Another sin of the body, anorexia nervosa. That is the habitual pattern of intentional, voluntary self-starvation in which the person is overly preoccupied with food and eats very little because she fears gaining weight, though she is underweight. And I use the feminine pronoun because uh, anorexia and uh, bulimia affect typically adolescent girls. Not always, but typically. They account for between 90 and 95% of the cases. So again, that's not always the case, but it is typically the case. And when you counsel with these, put it in this term, it is self-starvation. So we're aware of how the world thinks about it, but we want to call it what it is, which is starvation. It is an abnormal fear of gaining weight. And you're going to want to address that issue with them. That's going to be a massive issue when you're helping people with anorexia. It is not just a fear of gaining weight. It is often a refusal to eat enough to gain weight. So it's not that they are physically incapable of eating, but it's a refusal to eat. And the temptation is going to be um, the person walks in in low weight and you just go, you just need to eat. Order a bigger steak. You know, instead of getting the children's portion, get the adult portion. Eat dessert every day and then you'll be fine in two weeks. What's the problem with that? You're shaking your heads. What's the problem? It doesn't address the heart. You've got to address the heart. What's the fear that's keeping them? What's the control that they're wanting to manifest? Um, why, Why are they being rebellious and not doing what they know they need to do to care for their family through their own personal health? Those are the issues, among others, that you need to address. So uh, be careful about just, say, just saying, well, just go eat something. I mean, it's true. They do need to go eat something, but you want to address the other issues as well. Anorexics are typically adolescent girls, 90 to 95%, and it often begins with a weight gain associated with female adolescence. Um, I was just noticing a picture um, of a family member when she was like 12 or 10 or something. And it was just like she was just like pencil thin, uh, my niece. And it's like, well, that was then. Now she's 19 and in college and she's no longer pencil thin. Now, that wasn't her. She never struggled with this. But when a girl goes through that stage, adolescence, the hormones change. She gains weight. She wants to go back to looking like she did when she was 10 years old. And that's very often the trigger for these young women. So just be aware that when they're coming in, that may be uh, what it, what happens. They will often speak of certain body parts as fat. When you look at them and you go, well, you look good. You look healthy. Uh, you don't look overweight. And the doctor would tell them the same thing. Um, a female anorexic may not menstruate regularly and there may be other attendant issues as well uh, for guys as well. There will be uh, physical manifestations because they're not eating enough. Anorexics often have a wrong view of perfection. You'll go in and you'll tell them, um, let's, go, let's go to a medical doctor, go to a, go to a nutritionist as well as a medical doctor and get some counsel on what you need to be eating and then come back and tell me what the nutritionist says. Comes back. 
what do the nutritionists say? The nutritionist says, I need to be eating this many calories. And then they'll say something like this, but that's too many. And they're setting themselves up as authority. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a means of controlling life. That's the next point. Um, to manipulate their circumstances. And it's also a means they've established in their head what perfection looks like. And they want to attain that. Um, and we all, well, we should know. Um, all of you are old enough in here. We all should know that perfection, whatever that is in our minds, is unattainable physiologically. We're just, we live in fleshly, broken bodies, and it's, it's not attainable. Um, and they're setting them up saying, I know best. Um, I know better than anybody else. And um, I know what I need to do, and they're going to be prone to not listening. Some, sometimes it's going to be over displeasure in their world as well. Bulimia. Bulimia is the habitual pattern of consuming large amounts of food and then expelling the food and calories by vomiting, by taking laxatives or diuretics, exercising excessively, or using a combination of those methods. Both with anorexia and bulimia, you're going to want to ask not only about what are they taking in, but what are they expelling not just through vomiting, but through exercise. What's the exercise routine? How many hours a day are you exercising? How many times a day are you exercising? Well, I run I run for three hours in the morning, and then I, I um, bicycle for 10 miles in the evening. And you're taking in how many calories? About 750. Well, well you, <laughs> the math doesn't work. And that's why the weight's dropping, right? So you need to know not just what are you taking in. And I'm asking very specific questions. I want to see a log of what you're eating every single day and how many calories you're consuming every day and where those calories are spent, right? So there's a difference between a 1,000 calories of lettuce, which I don't think is possible to eat in a day. <clears throat> but a th- there's a difference between a 1,000 calories of lettuce and a 1,000 calories of chocolate cake and a balanced diet of a 1,000 calories, right? So I want to know what's being eat and eaten. And then I also want to know, tell, I want to know every bit of what you're exercising. How many steps you're walking in a day. How many minutes or hours you're exercising um, to get your heart rate up aerobically, etc. What you're lifting, if you're lifting weights, that kind of thing. Um, all that plays into uh, that person's weight loss. And so bulimics won't, I mean, what the typical is they're going to vomit, right? But not all of them are going to be vomiting. Some of them are going to control it through, control what they're eating through excessive exercise. Um, the uh, indicators of bulimia, they will consume a large amount of food in a short period of time. So the bulimic is not withholding food. They're indulging in the food. And in order to, address their gluttony, they're expelling it in some other way. So their, their means of disciplining them, their gluttony is to get rid of the calories before they go through the body. Um, that results in secretive eating. You can't eat that way and let everybody know it. Why do people eat in secret? Because they're trying to hide it out of embarrassment. Why are they embarrassed? Because their mind... Romans 2.15 is convicting them that they're wrong. So their conscience is telling them. The conscience is going off. Wrong, 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 wrong. And they're ignoring their conscience, which is a terrible thing to do. You never want to ignore your conscience. And so they are suppressing their conscience, which is another problem, which is going to lead them into other kinds of sin because they're, they're teaching themselves, ignore the conscience. It's not telling you the truth. And if it doesn't tell them the truth in this area, that's going to transfer to other areas as well. So you want to watch for that. Um, another indicator is a sense of a lack of control over what she eats. She may tell you, I can't stop eating. She may eat rapidly. There be a sense of shame or guilt, depression for her eating habits. she is going to find her self-image and identity closely associated with her weight and shape. And again, this goes to perfectionism, right? So I know what a perfect body ought to look like, but I want to keep eating. 
Um, and so I'm going to expel the food or get rid of it through exercise in order can I, that I can have this perfect weight and shape. They may have eroded dental enamel because of all the acids that are coming up from their body. It erodes their teeth. Um, they may also have teeth that are misshapen or um, in the wrong position because they're putting their hand in their mouth and that shifts the way their teeth sit. They may have scrapes on their hands, um, even bleeding from putting their finger down their throat if that's what they're doing. Uh, Again, bulimia is particular temptation to adolescent girls and young women, again, because of their weight gain uh, and body change at puberty. So often with bulimics, you're going to be dealing with young women. That's, again, the vast majority uh, of of, uh, people that struggle with this. Bulimia is often hard to detect because a person does not gain weight and much of the activity is secretive. You just don't know. So one of the most famous people that dealt with bulimia was Princess Diana. And almost nobody knew because she's eating in secret. She's going to the bathroom in secret, vomiting, throwing up. She looks great in public and everybody thinks, oh, isn't she beautiful? And not knowing that she is consumed with gluttony and she just gets rid of it through um, throwing up. Bulimics are often motivated by greed, instant gratification. I need to have what I want now. And so like the glutton, um, that, that steak, that bowl of ice cream or whatever is calling for them and they don't have the discipline to say, it is okay to eat ice cream, it is okay to eat ice cream in moderation, in proportion to everything else that you're eating. And they don't want to wait for Saturday. That's when Regine and I typically might have a little bowl of Bluebell. It's Saturday night. Um, and it's Tuesday. And the... Terry. <laughs> and you don't want to wait. Okay, well, I'll eat it and I'll throw it up and I'll get, I'll get the good taste going down and I won't have the consequences of it. And that's where that's coming from. Like anorexics, bulimics use their sin as a means of control and sovereignty over their circumstances. I'm controlling my life. I am ordering my life the way I want my life to be. The purging, what's going on with the purging? The purging is a kind of atonement where they are doing penance for their sin. Eradicating their sin on their own instead of going to the only one who can cleanse them of their sin. They're doing something that is not any different than the Pharisees. They're cleaning the outside of the vessel and ignoring the heart. And so a passage like Matthew 23 um, is particularly helpful. She may be practicing bulimia because she's undisciplined and she's lazy and she wants an instant resolution for her gluttony. Another sin of the body, excessive devotion to physical fitness can also be sinful. We have talked about this. Exercise does have a benefit. It's just not ultimate. So I want to take care of my body, but that's not ultimate. I want to exercise my body. I want to discipline what I eat, but I want to make sure that I'm eating spiritually better than I'm eating physically. And I want to make sure that I'm disciplining my heart more than I'm disciplining my body. So there is some benefit, but I I dare not treat it as if it has ultimate benefit. Because near as I can tell, death is still one out of one. Which means everybody dies. So um, even when I take the best care of my body, I'm not making myself eternal. I'm still in a finite fleshly body that will die unless the Lord comes first. And so we don't want to treat it as as if it is ultimate. One's quest to attain the perfect body can lead to other kinds of sins. Um, Some people are legalistic and ascetic about food rather than giving thanks for it. You know, I I mean, I said this in my prayer. I've said it a couple of times here. God's given us food. We're going to look at this. God's given it to us to enjoy it. He didn't say... um, to Peter, arise, kill, and eat, and it's going to taste really nasty, but just suck it up and endure it. 
No, I mean, it's really good. All the stuff that God cleansed and said, go and eat, it's good stuff. Um, and it, it tastes good. It's delight. And, um, and we should give thanks for it. It's a blessing to us. As we think about food, let's understand food is not the problem. The root of all these food addictions is idolatry. Now, food may be the external stimulant. It may be the temptation, but all it's doing is revealing what's inside of me and what's in the heart. Watch this. Too much food, too little food, and fitness can all be idols. The desires that produce gluttony, anorexia, bulimia, and fitness are often very similar. I was counseling someone one time with anorexia, and um, and God was so pleased to do an amazing work in this person's life. And we talked often, and at the same time, I was in the process of trying to lose weight. And he, he and I talked often about the fact that we had the very same struggle. It was just manifested in polar opposite actions. We wanted the same things. I was satisfying it through gluttony. He was satisfying it through anorexia. Um, and it was really sweet to see how God worked in both of our hearts uh, to change us. So just understand that, that the idolatry issues are the real issues, and there may be overlap between all of these. Um, the challenge in all these sinful behaviors is that food cannot be avoided. I can say to you, if you're struggling with pornography, thou shalt not look at pornography. And you can live very nicely without looking at pornography. It doesn't impact your life at all. In fact, it makes your life a whole lot better. I can say, don't drink alcohol. I've told that to numerous people. I said, I can't make a biblical case. Thou shalt not not ever drink a drop of alcohol. But brother, you can't control it. Thou shalt not drink alcohol ever in any quantity at any time. Because it controls you. And you can live very fine not doing that. If you don't eat food, you will die. So the person that struggles with these things is faced with that struggle every day of his life. He can't walk away from it. And every day of his life, three times a day, he's going to be faced with the struggle of his heart. And you can't just say, well, I'm going to ignore it. No, Three times a day, you've got to make a decision about what you're going to do and who you're going to honor and what you're going to pursue as your delight. That's a hard thing, but it's also a blessed thing when you say God's sufficient for that. And God's doing this to demonstrate to me his sufficiency three times a day. And that's one of the places you're going to want to take these folks. How can we help people who have sinful patterns of eating? Um, we want to identify the sin with biblical terms, idolatry, uh, pe- greed, penance, lust, coveting, greed. How we describe the sin is how we will offer prescription for the sin. Right? So what we describe determines how we prescribe. And so how you think about the sin is going to be, is going to be indicative and revealing of where you're going to go to help that person. But uh, while the Bible speaks frequently about gluttony, it says nothing about anorexia or bulimia as far as I know, but it says much about the motivations, the desires, and beliefs that feed the sinful actions of anorexia and bulimia. Um, So, key passage, I know you guys have used this probably hundreds of times as I have, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Right? Out of the overflow of the heart, the checks are written. Out of the overflow of the heart, my feet walk where they walk. Out of the overflow of the heart, my eyes look at what they look at. Out of the overflow of the heart, my mouth takes in what it takes in. It's a heart revealer, and so that's where you want to address it. Uh, The change the sinner seeks is not unique to these sins. It's not like, you know, if if somebody walks in with um, with this on their PDI, don't don't say, oh, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, you have. You've seen you've seen the idolatrous issues of the heart. It's just been manifested in different ways. 
The person has struggles that are common to man. It's just being manifested perhaps in a different way than you've seen. Our goal is not to be thin or to impress other people or to be buff, but our goal is to please and glorify God. That's the goal, whatever the eating disorder sin is. It's not what you eat that makes you a sinner, but it's what's in your heart that makes you a sinner. Why am I going to the food that I'm going to? Or why am I not going to the food? Or why am I exercising or why am I not exercising? That's what determines whether I am sinning or not sinning. Because of that, the change we seek is not outward and physical, but inward and spiritual. So seek God's kingdom first, Matthew 6.33, and don't worry and don't think so much about food. Don't be anxious about your food. Just be busy about kingdom work. That's the heart desire. That's the heart goal. Um, To that end, change begins with the gospel. Uh, You know this. I'm going to run through this um, quickly. Law alone cannot change you. So just saying, eat Or in my case, stop eating. That's not the issue. Um, That that may be helpful for a season, you know, give some structure, but that's not the issue. Law can't change you. Um, We need to remember uh, the scripture begins with the indicative, what God has done for us as the ground for the imperatives, right? So we want to think about what's God done in the gospel for us and how does that shape the way we live? Is all this in your notes? Okay, so we'll just skip through this till we get to this. You're accepted by God. And your acceptance with God is not based on how thin you are, but because of the perfect righteousness that you have in Christ. Your thinness, your buffness, doesn't make you more pleasing to God in and of itself. Your heart, your desires, your longings, it is what makes you pleasing to God. What matters most is not what other people think of you or even what you think of yourself. What matters most is your status with God. So here's a question for you. If change begins with the gospel, how do unbelievers lose weight? They can, but they cannot lose weight in a way that glorifies God. Their losing of weight, even if they're, even if they're 500 pounds... 350 pounds overweight and they lose and get back to 150 pounds if that's where they're supposed to be. That doesn't glorify God because they've operated out of the flesh and not to his glory. So an unbeliever, in order to lose weight in a way that is pleasing to God, needs the gospel. We change not through self-reliance, but in dependence upon God. Without me, you can do not very many things, but you can do a couple things. We can do nothing without him. Nothing. Understanding. Oops, did you get that blank? We change not through self-reliance, but in total dependence on God. Understanding your union with Christ is key to your growth and holiness. That's true about all things. Um, I think all this is in your notes. Because of our union in Christ, no, no temptation has overtaken you. You can say no to every temptation. You can say no to the temptation to overeat. You can say no to the temptation to undereat because of your union with Christ. He's given you everything you need in Him to walk and eat in a way that honors and exalts Him. Christ is better than sins of eating and all of the other idols that tempt us. Food is incapable of giving ultimate satisfaction. This is, this is the temptation that the world constantly is giving us. The world doesn't give us bad things. The world says, find your satisfaction in sexuality. Well, is sex a bad thing? No, until you take it out of the context of marriage. Now it's a horrific thing. 
the world says, find your satisfaction in food. I mean, I, I love uh, is it food, food TV or Food Network, right? I love watching that channel. And it's like, it, I, I love the creativity of the food and I love getting new ideas about food. That's, there's nothing wrong with that until you say that's the ultimate end. And that's the, source of, that's the source and the focus of our life. And the world is constantly doing that with just about everything. I mean, turn on the TV to watch a ball game and watch the commercials. And every commercial is saying, this is ultimate, this is ultimate, this is ultimate. It's like the world is just grabbing at all this stuff, saying, something must be ultimate, yes! <laughs> but not anything you're going to find on a commercial. Um, only Christ is going to be able to satisfy so the problem is, I mean, food is satisfying, right? So my wife came up to the church before I left this evening and uh, she brought a meal and we enjoyed a nice meal together. And she said, would you like some more? She, you know, was a, she made some soup and um, she said, would you like some more? I said, no, I'm satisfied. It's just enough. I don't want to have too much food while I'm going to teach. I don't want to teach about gluttony and then, you know, anyway. Um, it's okay. So, but food is satisfying. I could, I could tell you about the soup and I could tell you about the tortilla I ate alongside it and the navel orange and everything else. And I could tell you about all that. It's satisfying, it's, but it's not ultimate. And the world is going to tell you it's ultimate. It's not. Now, God's given it to us as a grace, but not as an ultimate grace. Christ alone will satisfy ultimately. And because of that, we need to learn to eat at the Lord's table, not at our table. And isn't that interesting that he uses eating as a metaphor for belief. It says, take and eat my flesh. He's not talking about eating his body. He's talking about believing in John 6. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's a metaphor for believing. Eating is a metaphor for believing. Uh, we are responsible for, uh, we are responsible to exert effort towards biblical change. You get a counselor, you want to encourage them to get a medical evaluation. They come in with something like this. Don't, don't you dare think, oh, we don't need to talk to a doctor. You need to talk to a doctor. You need to find out where they are on both ends of the spectrum. Are they starving themselves to death? Are they eating themselves to death? And you need to get some medical counsel and a nutritionist is going to help you there as well. Uh, you're going to want to gather data both extensively and intensively, widely and deeply, right? So broad, I want to talk about every aspect of their lives. Um, some of these sins, anorexia, bulimia, with young girls going through adolescence, might you be suspicious about something else that might be going on? Yeah, those things... Here's where culture can help us and secular counselors can help us. They do studies. They've got access to all kinds of data about the kinds of cases that these show up in. And there's a very high incidence of abuse, sexual abuse for people who are anorexic, for young girls who are anorexic. So they come in and they're anorexic. You better believe we're going to ask about it. So we're asking widely and then we're going to probe deeply about all of their habits. When do they eat? What do they eat? How do they eat? With whom do they eat? When do they not eat? And you're asking all those kinds of questions. You want to help them examine their spiritual condition and their relationship with Christ. How does their, how does their eating or their non-eating connect to their relationship with Christ? We're going to probe their history of food-related problems. So are there dietary issues? Um, are there allergies? Are there um, incidents that happen? Are there medications that they have taken that have uh, provoked weight loss or weight gain? It's actually one of my daughter's issues. She was on some medications for a period of time. One of the side effects was weight gain. Um, and she was eating fine at the time. But once the weight gets on, now it's hard to get it off, right? And, and, and it is, I, I don't know the biology. I just know it's a lot harder for women to lose weight than for men. Um, and... Uh, I, I, I know that's true anecdotally, and I've read just a tiny bit about that, and it's it's um, it's just a consistent issue. So, you want to ask those kinds of issues, what uh, questions, what uh, what kinds of uh, issues that they had that might have precipitated food problems. Probe the nature of their relationships, especially relationships with family members. How does that interplay with what they're eating or what they're not eating? You want to listen for the circumstances of the sin and for any other related sins. So. 
just like any other sin, you're asking, you know, when are you engaging in this sin? What are the circumstances? What are you thinking when it happens? Um, send them home with a with a heart journal. Do you guys use heart journals? You know what I'm talking about, the heart journal? Okay, so it's 8.20, I know. It's been a long day. Do you know what a heart journal is? Yeah or nay? No. No, okay, so a heart journal... I give somebody a hard journal. It's got like six questions. So what happened? Um, so you're just explaining. And, and I use this for pornography. I'll use it for anger. I'll use it for food sins. So what happened? Um, I, I, ate, um, I ate 1,800 calories at breakfast. Okay? So what were the circumstances for when it happened? I was alone. My wife had left the house and um, and I just realized that I could eat anything I wanted to and she would never know. And so I did. When you did what you did, what were you thinking? When you did what you did, this is a fourth question. I don't remember exactly what they are. What were you wanting? So there's something that's driving that. So what is it that you, in that moment you wanted? And you're having them fill this out right afterwards, ideally. Um, what does the Bible say about what you should have done? And what could you have done differently in light of what the Bible says? So they're, they're widely available. You can go to, uh, uh, I think it's on our um, counseling website and a lot of different places you can find that. Uh, I use those for a lot of different things. And I'll print them off. Um, if they're younger, I'll just send them a PDF and they'll fill them out on the PDF form or a Word document. If they're older, I'll print out a dozen copies. And I'll say, if this is a struggle for you, I want at least three um, heart journals for the week. And ideally, email them to me the night before so I can read through them before we meet uh, the next time. Really, really helpful for helping to get at the circumstances of the sin. And from that, we want to expose the thought patterns that are producing their motives and idols. What, what's driving this? Um, what are you wanting um, for me, it's comfort. I was trained that way. It, it, it's sitting at the table. It's enjoying family. It's comforting. Um, there's a reason we call some foods comfort foods, right? It, and it, it appeals to us. Um, it's also things I do when I'm under pressure. I reach for something to eat when I'm under pressure. So when I'm under pressure and I'm thinking, okay, I want... Okay, are you really hungry? And if so... Um, can the carrots and hummus satisfy you or do you need chocolate? Carrots and hummus is fine. Thank you. <laughs> I happen to like carrots and hummus, but uh, it's a lot better for you than chocolate. So you want to expose what's going on in the heart. What am I motivated by? What do I want? What's the idol that's driving that? Discover the events and circumstances that stimulate their sinful eating. We've already talked about that. When do they eat? What do they eat? With whom do they eat? Or with whom do they not eat? Or who's not around? And then give them hope, right? So the gospel is all about hope. They can be changed. Um, you want to ask the right questions about food instead of only asking what do you eat or how much do you eat? You're going to want to get at the motive. So why are you eating or why are you not eating? Um, this is where I'll ask. Sometimes the why isn't helpful, but if you ask what were you thinking or what were you wanting in that moment, um, that's much more helpful. Why are you choosing to eat what you are eating? Do your choices glorify God? You want to help the person change the way they think about food, exercise, righteousness, and the desires for those things? Begin cultivating a righteous desire for food without being gluttonous. I want to see every need for food as an act of dependence on God. I need Him more than I need this food. Um, my body is screaming for food. I actually, I knew that I reached a really good place when I was genuinely hungry. And I thought about what I'd eaten the day and I go, well, no wonder you're hungry. You haven't eaten enough today. It's like, okay, I get to eat in a way that honors the Lord. Um, but I want that food to say to me, I'm dependent on God. I need him. Uh, see every hunger pang as an expression of desire for God. G.K. Chesterton said, the man who knocks on the door of the brothel knocks for God. And the person who goes 
to the refrigerator more often than he needs to is looking for God. And he's saying it's in food instead of in God. Be disciplined in your exercise and food intake as an expression of your love for Christ and not as an expression of physical pride. There's a fine line between saying, um, I want to care for my body in a way that prolongs my life and is satisfying to my wife and being prideful of that. A friend of mine taught me this line. He said, it's a thin line, but it's diamond hard. Not like that. So it's a thin line, but it's really clear. So just be careful of that um, and be careful with your counselees that they're in the right place. Repent. Um, you're going to put off some things, all those things, right? So back here, change the way you think. That's mind renewal stuff, right? So we're going to help the person with renewing their minds about their food. And then we're going to repent. We're going to put off something. We're going to stop blaming God for failures. So... James 1 tells us that we sin because we think God's got it wrong. God's tempted us. God's enticed us. God's provoked us. God's led us into this. God hasn't taken away the desire, so he must want me to indulge. Don't throw that on him. That's not his. Stop blaming him. We want to repent of food and body idolatry. Learn to re- resist the inward temptation. And this is where most of it, most of the temptation with food is inward, not outward. Um, I walked through the um, snack area earlier, and I don't know what, it, what I don't know what I was smelling, but as I walked into the room and I thought cinnamon roll. <laughs> Did y'all smell that too? I don't know. Cinnamon cake. Not as good as cinnamon roll, but it's moving that direction. Oh. Oh. Anyway, so. So, in that longing that I just had, what was that, external or internal? That's internal, isn't it? And that's where you need to fight the battle. It's an internal desire, not an external desire. Want to take radical steps to remove the outward temptation. Um, so for a long season, when my wife and I were, were both losing weight, we just never kept ice cream in the house. Ice cream is our default dessert. Uh, neither she nor I are as good cooks as my mom, so we don't really make dessert. If we're going to have dessert, it's ice cream. And so we would, we would not get ice cream, and when we did, we got a pint, and then we'd split it. Calorie control. Um, now we keep it because we've learned uh, in God's grace to be more controlled. But you want to take radical steps to remove the outward temptation. Where's the struggle? Um, and just like you would do with someone who's struggling with pornography, get rid of the external stuff. Whatever cannot be eaten in faith with gratitude is sin. Um, it's not here. Well, we're going to get to it in just a moment. Um, Change takes place through the means of our exerting effort and acting obediently. Romans 6. I think one, one area where you're going to have to encourage this person, whatever their food struggle is, it is an ongoing struggle. It is a struggle that they're going to deal with at some level most days um, just because we eat every day. And so they're going to have to make decisions every day. And they will become more natural, but it will be there. And so you're just going to have to give them encouragement that God's grace is able to sustain them not only today, but over the long haul. And what I used to always say, particularly with this one person, and I think about it in relation to myself as well, don't look 20 years down the road. That's not the issue. The issue is today. Can you be obedient today? Just look at today. Can you control today by the grace of God? Can you lean on him today? Can you find him satisfying to you today? And yes, you're going to have to fight it for 20 years, but that's a, that's a battle 20 years off. So apply Matthew 6, right? Don't borrow today's prop, tomorrow's problems today. Tomorrow has enough problems of its own. 
So when you get to tomorrow, God's grace will be sufficient. Just deal with the issue for today. Um, and that that should be helpful for them. Put on glorifying God in your eating and how you care for your body by loving God and feasting spiritually at his table, expressing prayerful dependence upon God for your food and your health. Here's here's massive. Never eat without giving thanks for the food that God gives you. First Timothy four. Talks about those who are um, apostate. And among those who are apostate are those men who forbid marriage and advocating advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. So God said to Peter, arise, kill, eat. He said that three times. And there was much more going on in that passage than just the cleansing of food. But the cleansing of food was part of that. And God said, I'm giving this to you. Enjoy it and eat it with gratitude. I think this is where praying for every meal comes from. I can't mandate or I can't... uh, validate that but i think this is one of those places where it probably came from that we just give thanks god's given it to me and the person particularly the person that doesn't want to eat needs to learn to be grateful for the food that god has given them and what is on the plate in front of them they eat with gratitude and they don't eat until they get to that place. And sometimes that means exclude themselves from the room for two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes until they get their heart ready and they pray, they cultivate gratitude, and then they come to the table and they eat. Uh, th- that Honestly, that's just a massive principle. Um, be content with the quality and quantity of food that God provides for you. Eat whatever's at the table. Um, Dan Kirk and I went to, um, we've made several trips together over the years. We were in, in Russia. We were in Siberia on one particular occasion. And we were eating some of the worst food I've eaten in my life. Not that, not that it was like gross food. It just was, it was just bad. And it was not much. It was the only trip I've taken. I usually take like one protein bar for every day that I'm gone on a trip. Several trips I've, gotten back with all 12 protein bars. I've not eaten a single one. On that trip, I ate everything, and I was looking around. (laughs) Because it just was no food. And my wife and daughter, on that trip, when we were in that location, were in Paris. (laughs) And they were sending me pictures. (laughs) And I paid for their trip. And it was cruel because they were eating so well. Um, Be content with the food that God has given you. He's given you that food for that day for his purpose. You thank him for it, whatever it is. Um, Be content with the body that God has given you. Some have an easier time. Some have a harder time with controlling their weight and being disciplined. Be content with what God has given you. Live a life of self-discipline, control, honor God with your body. Your motive for obedience is crucial. And uh, look forward to the day when these bodies will be perfected. And they will be. Um, Okay, let me run through these quickly. See a physician, some practical things. See a physician, we've talked about that. Make a plan for how you're going to eat and exercise. For those of us who are regimented, that's pretty easy. For those of you who are less regimented, that's going to be an area where you can really help. Keep a record of what you eat. There are, lot, there are tons of apps. I have a food app. I told my wife when I started on that food app around day 100, I said, I just can't imagine doing this the rest of my life. I like doing it now. It's, I don't know, 1,500 days or 1,700 days or something ridiculous. And it's just, it's just part of my life, and it's good because it helps keep me disciplined. Um, so every day, in fact, last night she was saying, how many calories were in that hamburger patty? And uh, so we keep each other accountable in that area. Uh, eat slowly, eat thankfully. It's better to establish wise God-honoring habits, which will last a lifetime, than go to on a temporary radical diet. So there are all kinds of fad diets, but you want to you learn a way to eat that you can eat for the rest of your life. People ask me sometimes, hey, I don't want to sabotage 
your diet, where can we go to eat? I said, pick a restaurant, we'll go, I'll find something. There's always something healthy. Um, Keith and I have our staff meeting every Wednesday at Grump's Hamburger Place. I don't know, do you all know Grump's? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Grilled chicken salad, extra lettuce, no onions, no chips. Keith can, I'll see Keith out of the corner of my eye. He says it with me as I'm saying it. We eat there 40 times a year, probably 39, no, 37 times a year. That's what I get. One day a year, I get a hamburger on my birthday. And probably about twice a year, I'll get a grilled chicken sandwich just because. Um, So um, I I, got to eat in a way that's sustainable, right? I can't go to a fad diet. That's not sustainable. Um, Occasionally take a day off from food, fasting, so that you can feast at the Lord's table. Seek godly accountability. Beware of legalism. All this stuff is just wrapped up and <laughs> comes really close to legalism at times, doesn't it? You need to be careful for that. Um, so I don't want my food app to be legalistic. I want it to be the means by which God gives me grace to control myself. And that's different than legalism. What determines uh, whether a change takes place? Um, there's going to be all kinds of variety of outcomes in your counseling. With these sins, be prepared for a lot of sessions. I mean a lot. Because it's, it's just a real struggle to change. Um, sometimes change doesn't take place because the person is not regenerate. And so you're going to watch for that. Be careful to not wrongly judge someone who is overweight. You don't know the, all the reasons for their ex- excessive weight. So be sure to ask questions before you evaluate. Um, God uses a variety of means to bring about change. His word, prayer, whoops, circumstances. Sometimes he brings a Nathan to admonish us. And we need that. Participation in the church body will help you. I looked at this the other day. I had 48 slides. I thought, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Can I go one back? Pray. Word, prayer. Surprising, word and prayer, right? Um, Food is important. We're dependent on it, and God created food for meeting the need that we have. But it is, most of all, a symbol of our need for God. He wants us to change and to bear fruit with our food for His glory. The gospel is key to change, and you are responsible to exert effort. Hey, thanks a lot. I kept you past.